Hello, and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for those curious about the non-finance aspects or the human side of working in accounting and finance. I'm Susan Nicriazon, and while I believe there is beauty in balancing a set of financial statements, the intricacies that underpin the workings are wondrous. The real beauty for me is in working with people. The intricacies that underpin our workings are wondrous too. And not one particular combination of input or formula will ever generate the same result. Join me and my guests as we place a lens on some of these wondrous intricacies that make us unique. And as we share insights, knowledge and strategies to inspire your life beyond the numbers. feedback is it is somebody else's opinion often yes and it doesn't make it a fact (laughs) and sometimes you can get a bit obsessed with what we think is correct yeah but i was also reading somewhere where they were saying you know it's also how you phrase the questions so if i say does gary communicate well somebody can say yes he does but that what does that actually mean whereas if i say do, uh, do you understand everything that Gary tells you? And you say yes, and that's a clear indication that Gary communicates well. Yeah, it is. And, and I, think, I think you're spot on there. And I think a lot of it is interpretation of the wording as well. I tended to do this. I was one where I used to, even before it sort of became mandatory for people at a certain level to get feedback, I used to go sit with people on you and have a cup of coffee. You know, often peers, sometimes from a different function I'd worked with, just have a coffee and a chat and just ask them, you know, for a bit of advice, you know, what could I do more? Is there anything that, that confuses you? You know, what can I come across as being a bit too energised sometimes in me? You know, you can just throw a few things in there as well, which you feel that you might want to work on. And then, you know, if you've got a good, you know, if you've built some good solid relationships, people will be there, they'll want to help you. Yeah. You know, they'll want oh, yeah. to do that so. It can be done for so, so I think what, you know, I think in summary, it can be done both formally, and like you've said, Susan, depending on the questions, the feedback, perspective, relevance, don't throw away all the other, the positives, work out how you actually take them to a wider audience. So if you want to do some, then do it informally, you know, do it with people who know you, who trust you. If you're concerned about something where you think it, I don't seem to be progressing, is it the way I come across, is it technical skill, is it, is it people just don't understand me? People don't get me, you know, basic terms. You know, just have a chat chat with a few people. People love that as well. And they'll give you, you know, find if you choose the right people, they'll give you some great, great advice. Mm, nuggets that you can actually use. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you touched on emotions, Gary. And I would imagine when you started working, certainly the way for me in Ireland, emotions were not really a word you ever heard anything about. <laughs> And I can remember a conversation we had previously about how do you interpret those feelings? You know, if you're going into an interview, the common feelings that everybody probably shares um, are sweaty palms, maybe your heart is beating more quickly, butterflies in your stomach, etc. But it's how we interpret those that kind of dictates the behaviour in that meeting. So maybe you tell me a bit about an experiment you carried out in one of your jobs about... Yeah, I, yeah I, I looked at this because I, I would the same. I, 
I thought, I've done this a lot of times. And every time I go to give a presentation or I was doing reviews with candidates after who come for interviews, some, you know, internally. And I were interested in the same thing, thinking that outstanding people, but in the interview, didn't seem to work. And it's like, and I want to give them a chance, but I also, I owe it to them. And again, it's a bit like feedback, you know, the sort of carrying on from that is, is I want them to improve because some didn't quite work. And exactly what you said. And, uh, you know, I remember doing this with some interviewees afterwards, two of them who I know were highly skilled and really struggled. And I sat with one chap and we went through it. And exactly what you said, you know, I think he'd been, he'd been going through, you know, his sort of body sensations were exactly as you said. And I think at the start of it, I asked him what he thought were really hard question he wasn't prepared for. Mm-hmm. And I think like you, the old neuroadrenaline, the stress thing, you know, hitting the body. And he got, you know, really nervous and he didn't give the greatest answer. And then about 15 minutes into it, we got onto a subject and it was somebody from HR who asked this, and he, he gave a really, really good answer. He virtually stood up when he gave his answer because it's like, it's subject. Wow. And, yeah. and it was like, and I could see, and the funny thing is, you know, when you observe things, uh, is I could see him still sweating. And like you were saying, Susie, he's still going, his body's still going through this experience. And, and he, you know, he's absolutely passionate about answering this question. And then after that, he did, he did really well. So you know, I sat with him afterwards and, and spoke with him. And he, he was just going through how he felt and asked him what, you know, why he did well on the second and then he said to me exactly what you did he says he says oh I've got real butterflies he says, and he asked me the worst question in the first five minutes and I just sunk and he says I was stressed out and then mm-hmm. questions after that I couldn't think and then he says when I got into questions that I liked he said he went I was like excited going I can't pull it all back now now's my chance to shine and he says the, the nervous sort of energy that he'd had or, or the stress that, that, he, that he'd sort of brought on himself turned into this excited energy and he couldn't get enough out and he wanted to answer this. So I think, you know, I, I learned from this. And the other thing, and it's a great question to ask Susan, is about, and I learned, I learned this because I asked him and I asked one of the girls who virtually did the same thing on different questions. And I noticed body, you know, the body posture as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, uh, and I read up about this afterwards. I thought it was quite interesting. So, so when both candidates, and I asked the HR lady as well, just to say, am I, did, did I just imagine this afterwards? Said when we asked them both a difficult question and they were really stressed up and both great candidates didn't, you know, do themselves justice at all. And you could see the stress that had come over them. So they'd gone from seeing upright and they'd sort of gone to an arch position, wow. the sort of arms folded. Yeah. Um, and I went, and then when we got to the point where we asked them something that they were really passionate about and could answer, they virtually both stood up. Yeah, we we're, were sat around this table and both, both, virtually both stood up just to get the point across. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I thought about it's amazing. So, so you're actually, you've got this, you know, you've got this thing inside you where, you know, the fight or flight. And, and, I think, and I think people need to consider this about managing situations and turning stress into something where it can be, you know, probably not excitement, but they can turn it into more positive energy um, yeah. with themselves a better opportunity by, and, and a lot of it is body position. And I tried this and I read in an autobiography, I know I'm going on too long, but this is really interesting. So an 80s pop singer, yes. right, in a band, right, used to sing, used to record, put down the tracks or whatever technical 
uh, gobbins to call it now, but they put down tracks and the, the singer used to come and do his bit at the last and they were fantastic until they did sad songs. Uh-huh. And they were saying when he saw the sad song, he used to, he used to he would energize the room, uh, this singer, and, uh, and he said when he comes to sing his sad songs, he found it really difficult yeah. because he were a singer and he sung with energy, he, he sung with high passion. Yeah. And, and when he only sung the saddest song, he tried to, he couldn't sing it in such a way that it were like came over sad. So, so the the got a I can't remember what type of specialist it was. I don't think it were a psychotherapist, but it was, it was somebody from some kind of science centre, somebody new from university back in the yeah. day. They came along, and and they started to work with him and says, right, what we're going to have to do before he does does the sad songs, if we record them at the end, is is his body position. So first of all, we don't need to exercise. When he sings, they want him to not stand up, to sort of lunge over the microphone. And they give him all these changes, and a lot of it were around his body, about what he ate, about his, his thought process coming into it. Yeah. Um, and just by, they would say, they said just by sort of not doing any exercise, when he ate his food as well, they told him not to keep straight, probably not good for you, for your back, they told him to, to sort of be more hunched for a couple of days before, and they give him a load of other tips about, about his body as well. But I remember the hunching stood out for me. And when he actually recorded, is is that instead of the normal stand up in the booth, they've got the microphone on the table and got him to hunch over. And it says it were amazing that change. He could really sing this and sing it in a in a way that it brought real sadness. And it was partly because his body were telling his brain that it was really sad because he didn't want to do this and he felt sadness. So I wouldn't under, although I'm not an expert, you just read these snippets and you see them in real life to say, well, what, what does that mean to me? Well, that what means to me is if you're in an interview and you're starting to feel nervous, don't, don't lunge, you know, sit straight up. Maybe, maybe just grab your knees or one knee, you know, and, and, and try to, you know, these sensations of the butterflies and the sweats, try to turn into something positive. So, so I just maybe, you know, sit up more, straighten your back, shoulders back, and think, right, I can do this, it's going okay. There's a lot of questions, they're not gonna judge me on one question, you know, you know, they'll judge me overall on, on how I did overall, not just one thing. Yeah. And just try to, to manage that because it is an emotion that's taking over. And again, it it does, you know, the mind and the body working together in a positive way, brilliant. You know, you know, you can perform at high standard. If if that turns to stress, it turns stress turns to self-doubt. And then everything's impacted. You know, even even memory of thinking, somebody asks you a question, what do you do on a project that proves that you're a great team player? You might have something that springs to mind all of a sudden. You know, you know, stress has taken over. You can't remember. So the fluid fluency that you need and, and yeah. the way to get that across so simply can just go and there's a bit of stuttering and, oh, wow, well, can't remember. Oh, yeah, I've got one on that. So yeah. it's really important. And I think it, you know, especially say to anybody now that, as you know, finished studying and, and they're looking at, I want to read some of that, I want to do some of that, that gives me, you know, better chances. Maybe look at some around, you know, it can be a little bit around CBT, it can be a little about turning stress into positive energy. But yeah. you're going to go through these situations. It's inevitable. You're going to have situations that bring on stress. It can be a big, uh, can be a big presentation. It could be you're going to do the quote, the result. It could be the business plan, yeah. you know, it might be something that's not very palatable that you're going to say, and you'll think of all the ways of delivering that. But there's one thing that will happen before you're about to do that is, as you said, Susan, you're gonna you're gonna feel that that body sensation, turn it from stressed up to 
here's a chance, I've got a chance to swing this round, I've done this before, of course it's going to be tough. And the, the inner talk, the inner dialogue is absolutely key when this happens. But also the big learning for, for Gary is body posture. Yeah. And I, I didn't understand how much impact that also had on, on your mind. So, so it's not just the inner dialogue, it it's, you know, reflects that through your body. Your body actually speaks to your brain, believe it or not, then we prove yeah. that. Um, so remember that as well, and that'll help. Yeah, actually, that's really interesting, Gary, because I go to Toastmasters, and and we learn a lot about standing up in front of people, and I suppose harnessing, I can say, that positive energy, because everybody feels nervous when they're about to make a speech. But it is a lot about how you hold your posture. But also, one of the things we do is impromptu speaking, and I think that's great training for interviews and so on, because your brain will help you. It will bring the memory and just go with it and talk about whatever comes up and, uh, and trust that, that your subconscious is helping you perform to, to your best. Yeah, and I think, I think you've just summed it up. It's performing to your best. It's, it's you can have great technical knowledge. You can be great on projects. You can do a, a lot of good work. But then there'll become a time where, you know, there'll be a chance and it could be a chance at an interview. It could be a chance at a meeting. You know, and I think you've got to take that and, and to let the nerves really take over, you know, it, it, it's a real shame. And, and I've seen it happen. And again, you know, when I did this day of interviewing, I'll, I'll lose the internal candidates and it, I really wanted to talk to them afterwards and give them some advice as well. But also ask them how they'll feel because for me, you know, I think, you know, one thing I've learned is you never stop learning. Mm-hmm. So for me, just to, just to learn more about, okay, I do this, you know, I, I can't say I do every big presentation. I've flown to New Jersey. I've done things there. And I felt exactly the same thinking, oh, first few minutes didn't go well. And, and you go through all these body sensations. And it's, it's just channeling that in the right way to say, right, be positive, you know, and make sure that, you know, the mission you've got, you know, how you've thought this through, the messaging and the interaction, that still has to happen. So don't let your body just sidetrack you and just stop you from doing that. Yeah, you need to perform to the best of you. Yeah, you need to perform to the best of your ability. Many people, especially people that work in technical areas like finance and accounting, at some point in their career will be told that they need to develop greater self-awareness. Yes. And that's kind of, I suppose, what we've been just talking about. But what else for you encapsulates self-awareness? How do you know you have it? It's really difficult. I think, first of all, you have to recognise you have to hold up the mirror and look in front of it. First thing on a morning, not, 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 not when, and this is for me, I mean, I can't do that now because I've just been out and look, look like Wurzel Gummidge, if people have like Wurzel Gummidge. But, but you, have to, you have to hold up the mirror or get somebody to hold it up for you. Um, but it, I was so passionate about being given an opportunity to, to, to deliver something to non-finance people, work for non-finance people. I just get so talkative. Mm-hmm. So, as you can imagine, <laughs> I know I, that's I'm... difficult to imagine, actually. But, but I'd be so passionate and so driven and, and want to talk about this. And then you'd realise then that people maybe not switched off a little bit and after 10 minutes, you know, you see them fiddling with the phones or whatever. And the self-awareness comes from the fact that things didn't go as planned and, and you've got to ask yourself, well, this is a common thing. And, and why? You know, why didn't they? So... So self-awareness, again, it comes from asking other people. Other people say, brilliant at this, but, but you just have to be a bit careful because you, you, know, you get too excited, you're so passionate about doing this, you, you have so much energy that people get a bit lost. So, you know, 
you think, okay, so I need to temper this down. And I think it, it's same with, I've seen some absolutely fantastic accountants, mm -hmm. brilliant statisticians, brilliant at presenting numbers, but no idea about people just getting completely lost and losing perspective with what they're saying. And it just turns into a numbers exercise and there's no dialogue or no chance for people to make commentary. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's that self-awareness to say that you are really good at this, but you also have to be aware that other people do not understand some of these numbers. Self-awareness is good. You need to get your feedback. Uh, that's a, a good part of the ingredient, ingredient. I think knowing yourself as well and going back and looking at experience about, you know, could it have worked a little bit better? Mm. What do I need to like retune or refine? You know, sometimes you can, you know that yourself. But what I think we've got to remember is, you know, you're never the finished model of anything. You know, you're, you're, you're always the sort of prototype of yourself. So, so I, I always that. think that, I, I always feel when I go forward that, well, people used to say that you're only good as your last job, but that sounds so negative. So <laughs> I like that, you know, like, you're always a prototype of yourself. You're never the sort of finished car. Um, and the way to do that and to, to keep building on this is, is the awareness. And it is, and it's the honesty. I think, I think one thing that you need, you need to be honest with yourself as well. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, the feedback's good, but there's honesty of saying, you know what, maybe I need to drop, maybe I'm too energized for people. Maybe, maybe I need to drop some of the numbers out. Maybe I need to do something a little bit different with people. Maybe I just focus on this area too much and people don't really get me. Well, what comes through on self-awareness with a lot of people, which I spotted, is people not, this is probably the best phrase, is coming across as not having skin in the game, especially from finance. Ah. Um, and people would come up and they'd talk about a set of numbers that belong to everybody else. Yeah. And I picked up on this earlier on when we used to have like a monthly briefing where all the big you know, directors come out and talk and finance out and talk about the numbers and, and then I got a chance to go and present some of the numbers yeah. and, and and again you talk about self-awareness I came off and I'm thinking I actually feel as though they've hired me to come in to present some when I'm actually part of the same company I watched the people delivering this even the FD and I remember telling him one day say there's one thing that I've noticed and I think it is a, an awareness thing about finance overall as in, individuals is it's like we belong to a different company it's like we're a set of PwC financial specialists come in once a month and go through numbers and it's like i think it feels like we don't have skin in the game you know we own these numbers we we should be trying to do everything not just to record them but how can we actually make them better and maybe that's what we should think about and and, and every you know whether we had a real honest meeting everyone the same said yeah i feel really uncomfortable it's like we talk about as though it's somebody else's set of numbers there are a set of numbers and just because we record them in a certain way you know, we also need to be part of, of improving these numbers as well. Mm -hmm. And we need to, um, the way we present these numbers and the way that we have dialogue, we have to remember that. So I think self-awareness is, is absolutely essential. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you're not, you'll have blind spots. Yeah. And then the blind spots might get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And then there might be an opportunity where you're doing something and the blind spot's just too big. And and somebody else in there just reacts to it and just says, you know, I just didn't understand what you're on about. Are you too patronizing or are you too technical? I needed a, I needed the summary version, not the, you know, the, all the 15 chapters type thing. 
Yeah. And and you might lose an opportunity to advance in the function you're in or advance in another function. And I guess a mentor can be a mirror also. Yeah. You find yeah, a mentor early on in your career. They can really help with those blind spots, I think. Yeah, I I will look at I had a I had a mentor. I think he did I think with a consolidation accountant. And and he was brilliant. And he used to he used to watch me and he used to guide me and we didn't have official mentors, but we'd go for coffees. Mm. And I think he recognized that I was working really hard and I'd come from a different background to everybody in finance. But he saw how hard I worked so he'd spend time with me and he'd go, Look, Gary, you know, think about doing this. You want to think about maybe, you know, less technically you know, I think it was my first look at stakeholder management. And back yeah. then, you know, they were like, you have to think about when you're in different rooms with different people, it was saying that they're not going to always understand or be on board with you. So you have to think about managing that situation. Yeah. And I remember on about room craft and things like that, which a bit over my head. So I simplified it again for me, say, say, you know, get the one or two people that are influential on board. You, you know, you know, make sure that at least you can do that. You know, the person who was going to make the decision, they really need to know. So, so just think about how you do that. What would be the connection? What would be the piece that they could absorb quicker and better than anybody else? And he told me quite a lot, to be honest. And yeah. I would look at it and, you know, he, he were a big football fan, so we hung out a little bit. And he went on, he went to get a job, you know, in the US, and I think he were quite successful. And, and I can't understand why, because he was not actually a great accountant. He had all those life skills. And he were, he were only a few years older than me and had been late 20s. And yeah. you could see, and when he walked into a room, you know, people went to chat to me, was so approachable. Um, and he had something about him, you know, had this presence and that, but really nice guy, but he were into mentoring then. They didn't mind sitting down and, and chatting with you. So, yeah, yeah, but I think mentoring is really important. I actually volunteered to be a mentor at Leeds uh, Business School. I, I do that, and I think it's important, especially for young people. And, and yeah. you know, I'm not, I have to sign a lot. So the, the financial and marketing students and business students. So I have to sign a disclaimer that I cannot help them with any work, which I wouldn't do anyway. I'd only reduce the marks, not improve them. But what I do is coach my life skills. So a lot of this is preparing them for what's going to happen when they leave university. Okay. You know, the turn, the turn up with the certificate. But what do they need more than that? And yeah. what can they be working on now? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, like, give a little bit back of the mentoring that I got a long time ago. And I, I also did a, a lot of mentoring in the last five years of work and brought a mentoring uh, scheme in. But I do it outside. And I, and I think it's, it's really interesting to me that, that you know, the, the amount of really, you know, switched on intelligent students who you can see are going to actually walk these exams, telling you a little bit about what they're doing is there's other things, you know, depending on character, personality and background, There'll, there'll be some areas where they're really struggling on that. I was talking to some students uh, a couple of weeks ago on Zoom chat from finance and similar questions were saying, you know, how do I, how do I survive in finance? You know, if, what was if I'm in finance and there's, there's all these financial people who are better than me and I'm trying to maybe, you know, do my SEMA. How do I cope with all that pressure? How do you work if I can't get time off? And so there's everything around, okay, so, so this is what you could do. This this helps for me. The girl who wants to go into marketing saying, I've got brilliant written skills that I'm really nervous about approaching people. I, I just can't see myself, you know, ringing people up asking for jobs or, or applying. You know, how do I successfully apply for jobs? 
And so, you know, there's a lot that you can offer people by just saying, oh, you know, this is how you can go about this. And the big question from a lot of finance people, I find, even, you know, studying this at university is, so what's a financial career ladder like? And I must have had that question asked. And you probably answer this more than anybody. And obviously it depends whether you're in private or public. And, and the good thing that I can say from my experience is, well, the career ladder can go upwards, sidewards, wherever we want to go. Um, in fact, it's a brilliant opportunity. And I, and I go back to you know, the start of this interview, which spoke about is finance is a real foundation of any business. Having the financial knowledge to make decisions, to understand performance, absolutely key. Um, I'm saying that you know you, you can you can do different things in finance now. You can be before you remember these days, Susan. You are you know in the finance. You're a finance manager doing month ends, etc., or doing statutory accounts. Now you can be a financial business partner, which means that you don't really have to be part of month end. You have to go through. You have to, you'll probably have to do quite a few years of doing month ends to get some experience. But but you know you can go be a financial partner and just work with the commercial side, the research and development. If it's a big you know, worldwide uh, corporate, you could go and, and do most things. You know, finance is, is a great qualification to open many doors. And I'd say that. So it's like, but do the hard work, you know, you know, when you're getting finance, do do the jobs that, that you know, people look at to go a bit laborious at first and worth more than doing journals or, or doing balance sheet reconciliations. You know, it's, it's great learning. Do it and do it well. If you know the basics inside out, then everything else seems easy, I think. Once you have that, there's no question about your technical, basic technical skills. You can talk to anyone about anything then. But if you're a bit shaky on journals and and the fundamentals, then you're going to be a bit shaky probably the whole way through. Yeah, and I agree. And as I said, um, you know, I only did it because it's one of these occupations where you've got fifty percent chance of getting it right. It's either a debit or a credit. So, not the most inspiration. No, but no, but seriously, I, I do think that it is. You know, if you go into marketing, that's great. But I've seen a lot of marketeers struggle on on managing projects with big budgets in in trying to understand what's the return on all the activity. And, and I think that, you know, coming from finance, you know, the world's your oyster. If, if you really want to, you know, do your stint in finance and go and get involved in the commercial world, you know, you, you'll be a fantastic asset because those assets are few and far between. And you know, I think that's really, really important. Very true. What do you think about this phrase, work-life balance? What does it mean to you? Did you find it? Have you got it? <laughs> if I could go back in a time machine, I'd probably have had more sleep in my early years and, and less stress. <laughs> um, I think it's really important. And I think it, it's such a shame that it's, it's only, you know, it's only probably in the last five years, maybe, maybe 10 at most, where it's become such a, a sensitive topic. And I think that, you know, personally speaking, is that my passion was, well, I won't say succeeding at work, but we're doing a really good job and, and doing the best I could at work. And, and a lot of my probably 15 years of my life I spent just doing that. Yeah. And, and work-life balance, and, and the work, this is crazy, work-life balance, well, if I get up at six and go to the gym six till seven to do the exercise and get my brain stimulated, then I've got the rest of the day to work. 
Yeah. And to me, that was, and that's a really poor work-life balance. Then maybe looking forward to, I play the guitar, so maybe on a Saturday, play the guitar. If I'm not catching up on emails, which I can do on a Saturday because it's not as bad on a Saturday catching up on, this is a thought process, not as bad catching up on a Saturday because you're not as under much pressure and you can read them, um, you know, uh, you've got more time, sorry, to read them and absorb them. You're not under that office pressure. And it's ridiculous thinking. So I'm a massive believer. I'm a real convert to work-life balance. And I, I believe that, you know, you can burn yourself out. You cannot perform at high standard if you don't balance yourself up with things that stimulate you, stimulate you that not work-related and relax you as well. And the relaxation is absolutely key. And it took me a long time to realize that that were really an important ingredient to being successful is you've got to learn to relax yeah. and, and do that through, you know, either, you know, mindfulness, it could be reading a book or painting, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm a really bad painter, but, but just trying a bit of, you know, a bit of painting or a musical instrument, or just going for a walk, yeah. you know, is quite good. And I used to, I did used to do this when I went into the office, um, when I went traveling is, do this nice little walk that I used to go on at lunchtime for, you know, about 50 minutes. And I'd have laughed, 10 years ago, I'd have laughed at myself to go, what a way, what could you do in an hour, Gary? You know, while you're going for a walk and getting some fresh air, you could be doing this. And yeah. it's ridiculous. And, and now it's like, it became a massive part of my day. You know, I'd look forward to, even if it raining, I'd just take an umbrella and go, it's really nice just to get out and just observe things around me and just relax. I won't take the music. I might even leave me phone, which I did most of the time. So, so work-life balance is, is incredibly important. And people might not realize this. And again, it's around the self-awareness. You might not realize that you're under too much pressure. You might not be form, performing at your best. You might think it's because, you know, quality work is, is not there. You're doing something that's a bit of a struggle. You, you know, you come up with a load of excuses. And it could be the fact that, that you're not balancing your life. So you're not giving yourself enough time to, for your brain to relax, for yourself to settle down so you can perform at your best. Yeah. And you just come up with a series of excuses. And I realized that I've gone through that. So I, yeah. I started to be sort of regimented in my approach and say work-life balance just doesn't mean doing some exercise and working. It also means that, that the weekend is really switching off and doing different things and, and putting the phone in another room. And it also means maybe doing a hobby or something that, that you used to do, which you like, or doing something new that, that you think could be good fun. Yeah. You know, maybe you or your partner or, or people who've got kids. And it's amazing. You do that for two months, take that approach. You actually realize your performance starts to actually go up. Your, your thinking improves. You, you definitely keep away from emotional decisions. Yes. And people go, you know, people say this to you, do you know you seem more laid back than ever? <laughs> and and, and the, the, yeah, yeah, that's it. You look younger, and uh, and all it is is you just it's just a different approach. Is is you're not running like crazy. You're still running in the right direction. You're going at a good speed, but you're having water breaks. You know, you don't have to complete in a certain time this race. It can be done over stages, and you make sure you manage yourself when you get to each stage, which could look like you know at the end of the day for people. So I think it's incredibly important, and I think I wish that that work-life balance had been a big subject 20 years ago. I, I really do. I, know. I, I do. I do. And I'd say to people now is, you know, don't look at it. People go, oh, it's just like, is it just one of these sort of management things that's coming out? Is it, is it people now that, that there's a small minority that are under stress? It only affects people who can't deal with stress. I've heard that, that work-life balance. Who said that to me? It only affects people who can't deal with stress. It's like, no, this is, this is an absolute 
you know, it's like you have five, you know, you have greens, you have, you have fruit, you have, you have all kinds of nutrition, you try to balance it. Well, this is the same. If you don't do this and balance your life, at some point your body's going to struggle. Or in your case, you know, your, your performance at work will struggle. You can't carry on yeah. just running at 100 miles an hour and not actually balancing your life up. No, and, and I think balance is different things for different people as well. Yeah. Being a 50-50 split or anything, it means making it work for you. But one of my mentors is always telling me, Susan, you have to slow down to speed up. And I yeah, think that's so true, is that yeah, if you take time out and rest, you come yeah. back fighting this. Yeah, no, I agree. And you said that 15 years ago, people have gone, Where's your, where's your robes and sandals? You know, as though you're some, you know, you've gone to India for five months, come back with all these, these fantastic ideas about, about spirituality and psychology and everything. And it's not like that, you know what I mean? It, it really, really is important. And I just hope that, that especially corporations really deploy this and, and make sure that people are given time off, that managers really step up and champion this and, yeah. and lead by example. Yeah. And I think that is so important for because it, because it becomes a cultural change. I think that's important is to take it from a specific like topic or advice to this has to be embedded into a culture. So and I think that's what's really important. Yeah. yeah. To be the to be the norm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Gary, so tell us what are you doing these days? And how can people be in touch with you or connect with you? I have two projects going at the moment. So I thought it'd be a shame to just throw away all the like 27 years of, of business sort of experience I've got. So what, what I do is, is I want to work now with small, medium companies or it can be large companies and really work on the strategy, the deployment of strategy, business improvement. And I think that for me, it's really important and it's good to sort of come out of like one industry. And I'd like to look at, other industries because a lot of principles are transferable about strategy and 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 again on business strategy again it sounds like one of those sexy topics that people just think oh well to me it means you know a mission statement or a piece of paper or a set of financial plans i I learned that that you can do a lot and you can do a lot without a lot of investment Mm -hmm. um there's an approach that that i formulated that i think will work really well for most companies Mm-hmm. to say you know there's a stop there's a pause there's a, a look at are you happy with the results do people actually look outside to compare how they're actually doing against the market because sometimes the internal results you know just a one sort of data point in time but how's the market doing because that is the real performance indicator yeah yeah i i had i had picked up experience i went to work in chicago for a while and i worked with a professor of columbia university business school and i so I spent a bit of time with him looking at strategy and different ways of doing it. And I came back and tried a few things that were adopted by the company. So yeah, I want to take them to a broader audience. And I think that I've got, and plus I've got the skills as well to, to help improve internal capabilities, yeah. you know, coming from finance, marketing and IT. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to get all this machine, not only pointing in the right direction, but all the cogs going at the same time. Yeah. Um, so the interdependence is a key and I mean the capabilities are key so you know I'm excited to do that and do it in a, a different way so primarily I'm doing that I'm also I have a company called BU it's called BU Leads so while we spoke about the finance and business side we've also spoke about what 
I hate the term soft skills and it's used so many times, life skills, I call it. So, so this, this second project is something I do, which is about helping people more from a self-improvement. What I'm going to do is use a lot of my experience so around mentoring, a lot of topics I've got in there about how to become a coach or a mentor. How do you actually be, how, how do you become an employee who gets noticed where people want to work with you and want to you know, promote you? How do you actually manage stress at work and stressful situations? So yeah. this other side about real self-development and self-improvement as well. Mm -hmm. I have a website. And I talk about subjects which I think are key about building. I've had to be really resilient. but I've had to build that up and I still build that. So, so yeah. from my experience, and a, a lot of this is, is from you know, public, some publications that are out there to remind people about you know, what's tried and tested. And a lot of this is a lot of what, what I do as well and what's happened to me. So I talk about resilience, you know, about overcoming fear, you know, all these topics that have been so speaking up. I know that you spoke yeah. about that, about yeah. speaking up and standing up. Um, and all these, you know, it's about success at work, but also success in life. So that's the second part of it. It's called being your leads. You know, that's where a lot of my passion lies. I do each day as well. I do on Instagram and Twitter. I do a little post, so, you know, I put just a few thoughts for that day and I generally put some personal. So instead of just like copy and paste this from the internet, I really think about it. I generally, you know, I use some photos, I take myself or I'll, I'll find some and, and, and just try to help people. It's virtually non-for-profit. I've done a couple of one-to-ones. I did a, did a group chat at the town hall in Leeds, you know, and, you know, I'm really interested in, in helping people. I, I just think from... You know, there's obviously the business side, which I can, which is easy and tangible for people yeah. to see what I can offer. But I've also had a, I've also been lucky to have this journey, which has helped me build these skills. And, and, you know, there's a lot of battle scars as well. And I've learned a lot and I've been interested in mentoring. I've been interested in CBT. I've done a lot of work. I've obviously, you know, interested in mental health. So I've sort of put this together to say, all this has helped me. Mm. If it can help individuals or other people, great. And so I've put it together in that way package and you know a lot of it my approach is doing it in a mentoring way in a visual way as well so instead of it's going to cost an arm and a leg you know if you give me a call to to do this it's like no you know i'll do it in a, a different way you know I'm, I'm more of a coach a mentor you know i work with individuals i can work with groups and then you know i i write three articles as well which hopefully people might look at and they might you might make them think and go actually yeah he's kind of right he's you write your own life stories, the next chapter you're in charge of. So, you know, I want to I want to make people feel positive and, and, and realise that they will find the inspiration to succeed. Fantastic. Well, Gary, we're, we'll wrap it up there. That was such an entertaining interview. I just want to say thank you very much and I'm sure we'll put we'll put some of your, your contact details in the show notes and everything like that. If people want to connect with you or follow you on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, they can just go ahead and hopefully when your book hits the shelves, they'll recognise it. Excellent. No, it's, honestly, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Susan. I think we've got so much in common. We've got a similar journey as well, you know, yeah. going forward. And... Um, I also think it's good that what you're doing as well, I, I just think that, you know, the commonality between us about people really understanding the potential and, and how to use that and what they can do and, and maybe take down any restrictions or barriers they've got. It's so important because nowadays there's so much access to people like you who can coach and, and not, you know, it's not just about 
coaching technical things it's coaching about life skills and i also think it's it's coaching from experience which you you know i know you do so so people who come out of you know high pressure jobs where they've succeeded to coach from experience i think is brilliant and there's not enough people doing that so fair play to you and that's been an absolute pleasure to uh, take part in this season as well cool thank you darling thank you for listening today and if you enjoyed our exploration of life beyond the numbers please subscribe to this podcast and share it with others who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers.